Hey everyone, Mark and Steve here. Before we get started today, we want to let you know about Dare to Connect, our new online interactive video platform. For less than the cost of a therapy session, you and your spouse get live access to both of us three times a week. Each 30-minute live group support session provides interactive mentoring and healing for addicts, spouses, and couples. If you're loving our podcast and our unique style of bringing you recovery, you're going to love Dare to Connect. To learn more, go to daretoconnectnow.com. We're looking forward to seeing and working with you. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the PBSC Podcast. It's good to be with you. I'm Steve Moore. Mark Castman's here with me today. We're uh, both the co-hosts here here on the show. Uh, we're here uh, doing episode 138. We had a great uh, submission by a, by a uh, listener of ours uh, that came through that touches on a topic that we haven't. Gosh, Mark, I don't know if we've covered. This I don't know if we've ever. Covered, I don't know if we've ever covered this particular topic. Yeah, that's that's good. It's a good way to good yeah. way to mix it up. We're going to talk a little bit about fetishes today. Um, which which is a great topic that that does need covering, but it doesn't always come up, you know, in the day to day. Um, so uh, this is well, just kind of paraphrase what we got, and then we'll we'll kind of list the questions that this listener asks. Um, it was this the listener is a wife of an addict. Um, she discovered through a, a kind of a negative D day experience, you know, the the different things that he had been hiding, the different behaviors, you know, uh, that are indicative of his his particular addiction. Um, he was resistant to the recovery process for a while. Um, but after a while, uh, and through, I think in large part, we're kind of inferring from her example, uh, he kind of came around and got actually quite on board with the recovery process, uh, to the point now where they're both very proactive in recovery. Um, they both have a therapist, he's attending 12 step meetings, uh, you know, working with a group, working through the 12 steps, doing some really, really good, positive things. And, you know, and she says, you know, one quote that she says is, you know, he's living, uh, for the first time in 15 years in his own integrity. Uh, which is which is awesome. Yeah. Um, but she she brings up an excellent question because he does have a history. Uh, her husband does have some history with. Uh, we we don't know the specifics of the fetish, but some sexualized abuse uh, from his past. And um, yeah, when he, he was a, when he was a kid, there was sexual yes. abuse uh, per, perpetrated on him as a kid. That's correct. And his and a particular fetish of his, although it goes unnamed is related somewhat to some of that abusive behavior, something along the lines is, you know, it's similar in tone to what that was for those of us, for those of our listeners who do not know what a fetish is, because we probably got to just clarify that really quick. A fetish is basically any form of, you know, sexual behavior or proclivity that kind, kind of falls outside what would be guess I consider the sexual norm, right? Mm -hmm. Typical sexual behaviors. There, there are certain behaviors or rituals that are involved in the sexual process that cause arousal for a person that most people would not typically look at and say that's, you know, that's arousing. So examples would be, you know, foot fetishes, you know, the objective, well, I shouldn't say objectification, but kind of the, 
the being being attracted to or you know uh being enamored with you know various body parts or uh, certain or, behaviors yeah it could be thing. objects yes you know, that, yeah lots of different uh yeah lots of different areas of focus yes they were i mean fetishes run the total gamut of you know of, of different behaviors and so that's kind of what we're referring to so he has this particular again unnamed behavior that he really enjoys um and she does she says that for her it, it isn't doesn't make her uncomfortable by any means um it doesn't cause any problems for her she doesn't find it nearly as arousing as he does but doesn't see any problem with it out of hand and it doesn't cause her to have to be inauthentic or anything, which is really important, right? So it's not violating her safety or anything. But she does have some questions and some concerns, understandably, about, you know, addiction and trauma and how those things kind of tie in with this and the perpetuation of this. And so she asks the following three questions. Well, and there's one thing I wanted to throw in, Steve, that, oh, yeah, please. that was a really important sentence. She said, he loves his fetish and wants to keep it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he he enjoys that behavior. He he enjoys that part of his his sexual repertoire and doesn't want to let it go. Yeah, uh, which makes sense. You know, we all have an arousal template, as we all talk about, and you know, we all become either gravitated to or used to certain things and uh, in the sexual realm. And so it it makes sense that there is some some pushback with that. Um, and she has even and 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 for her, she she even explores in the statement. It probably should be be noted in what she sent to us that she's talked about with him and considered a variety of options ranging from some sort of a sex fast in general right to kind of unlink some of those behaviors which we'll talk about in a couple of minutes uh to some other things but yeah let's get the questions out there and then mm -hmm. we'll, we can kind of break these down and talk about them we'll see how far we can get um so question one is it okay to explore his fetish or could that keep him in his addiction and his struggles with lust question two if he is recreating quote unquote his abuse I think, that, I think she meant recreating. Oh, sorry about that. Recreating. recreating. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I think you actually, I think both of those are actually spelled the right. The same I know way. it's weird, huh? Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Recreating his abuse via his fetish. Could this be helpful or harmful to him? And then question three, he has a high sex drive. Would abstinence from sex for a while? He hates this idea in quotes, <laughs> um, <laughs> help loosen his attachment to his fetish and his relationship with lust, fantasy and objectification. I'm scared this could bombard him with urges to watch porn or to fantasize, she says, about women in public. Mm. So is it okay to explore this fetish or would that keep him stuck in his addiction and in lust? Is recreating that, you know, uh, his, his abuse uh, harmful, right? Is that going to cause a problem? And would something like a sex fast be helpful in unlinking? Yeah. And I think, you know, the way, the way we can come at this, I mean, I'm, uh, I can speak specifically to this from my experience and I've had a lot of clients over the last couple of decades where this has been present in, as some part of their addiction and, and their recovery. You know, these, these kinds of questions have come up. So for me, I did have uh, a number of things that I picked up along the way from the time I was a little kid that got attached to sexuality. Things that in, in regular normal life probably wouldn't get attached to, to sexual feelings or sexual um, activities, but because of different um, abuse, different, quite frankly, very strange family, extended family members and others, there were things that I, that got pulled into the sexual experience for me. Mm. And i and I found that they became part of my arousal. Um, you know, and some of these things would be used, would be used to achieve, you know, an erection and ejaculation. 
And and that's a that's a very important place to pause right there for a minute. When we take when we take anything, right? I often tell my clients, I'll say, be very careful what you ejaculate to, because what you're doing is is that is stimulus and reward programming in your brain at the highest level imaginable. Whatever you're doing, yeah. and you reward that doing or that object or that whatever it is, <clears throat> even a fetish, if you reward that with climax, you are programming the reward system of your brain at the highest level. So if I, I've often said, if you don't want to make some a uh, certain kind of behavior permanent, don't climax to it. Mm. That's a very important thing to point out here. And so for me in my personal life, there were things I climaxed to that basically rewired my arousal template in some very powerful ways. So, so here comes recovery and I have some decisions to make. And it was, can I keep these things in my life? Um, and some, and they were things that I brought into, into my, uh, the physical intimacy setting in my marriage, bring them into the bedroom, so to speak. And they weren't things that were, they weren't disturbing or, you know, super abnormal or things that people go, what, right? Raise their eyebrows. It was things that you fairly commonly hear about out there in the world. Mm. And so having them be a part of the, the, the sexual experience with my wife wouldn't have been unreasonable, but I had to decide, are these things healthy for me? Yeah. When I'm participating in, let's just call it these, these fetishes, what is being, what is being accessed in my memory banks? What wiring in my brain is turning on? And this is the thing about this question about fetishes, especially with this guy where it is apparently this fetish started with when he was abused. It's very difficult. In fact, maybe I would say in a lot of ways, impossible for any of us to have complete control over what a certain fetish or experience is going to trigger in the brain from our past. I can't tell you when I engage in a certain behavior, what parts of my brain are going to light up, which memories are going to be accessed in that moment. It's kind of a grab bag. I don't have a lot of control over. All I have control over is whether I'm going to engage in the activity or not. But what happens after that, um, that has a lot to do with what's already in place in my brain for, from decades and decades of my life. So I would suspect with this guy, I would be really surprised if he's able to engage in this fetish with no connection to his abuse or his past whatsoever. Well, and I would definitely agree with that component about not being able to link it, right? I think a lot of this discussion has to do with in what ways would it be linked? Yeah, so, what are the links? What does yeah, so, what, what does this link up in the moment? Yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of I'll just chat. For, well, and for I and I wanted I wanted to say one thing as as we're kind of on the topic of my past with this real quick. I discovered in my recovery, I had to get really honest. I bounced it off of other people. I really tried to do some self-analysis and be as honest and transparent as I could. And the conclusion I came to personally was there were certain things that I had to let go of because I could not unlink them from my past. I couldn't unlink them from abuse. I couldn't unlink them, especially from my addiction behaviors. Um, I'll, I'm going to be really crazy bold on here. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we'll still see. Always, always an interesting choice. <laughs> <laughs> 
but there's, and I, and I, I, I am not trying to put this on anyone else listening, but I'm going to say what, what it was for me. We, we taught, we talk about the issue of masturbation. I, I, I experimented. I tried to see if I could engage in masturbation and not have it be connected to all of the stuff from my past. All the times I looked at porn, all the times I, I engaged in all kinds of sexual addiction behaviors that ended in solo sex. Could I engage in solo sex and not have it trigger all of those memories and all of those old, you know, pathways in my brain? I couldn't. So I, I elected to, to, to let that go and give it away because I could not unlink it and control it in a healthy way. I personally could not do that. So I took it off the yeah. table. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a great example of that. And I, and, and it's, and it's important, you know, we give a, give a, a whole balanced perspective here because it, it's, it's a wide topic and obviously everybody's different. I mean, in the, in the professional community, you know, there are basically kind of two schools of thinking. Uh, when it comes to this one is that, you know, engaging in when it comes to this, you know, specific topic of like, you know, fetishes or behaviors that are linked or, or linked to, you know, past trauma, traumatic events, is that going to, what, what impact is that going to have? The one school of thought is very much in line with, I think the concern of this wife, right? That, you know, if he continues to perpetuate a fetish or sexual behaviors that are linked to some of his past abuse or past trauma, you know, those will continue to perpetuate those traumatic you know, threads of thinking, for lack of a better term, in the brain, right? And it's going to keep him rooted in addictive tendencies, coping tendencies, keep him stuck in a traumatic mindset, everything that kind of ties in with that. Mm -hmm. The other side of the school of thought is that engaging in such behaviors might actually be the opposite, which would be that this would actually be very empowering to the individual, where a person is powerless in an abusive experience to engage in certain behaviors um, when they are able to choose those things of their own free will and choose to engage with those things and, de and to develop new paradigms, new ways of thinking, new you know, new approaches in the brain to those and what those things signify, what those behaviors mean, that it can also be very healing and, and really empowering. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of him choosing it instead of it choosing him. Correct. Right. That that kind of approach. <clears throat> and I think you, you know, you mentioned before we started, Steve, one one of your concerns with this scenario and mine as well. It sounds like he's fairly early in the recovery process. Correct. And being that early in the process, I would really encourage him to be just as super self-honest as he can. Does he have the ability this early in recovery to truly unlink? this fetish behavior from all of that trauma and addiction and all that stuff from the past, can he truly unlink all of that so that the fetish stands all by itself and he can engage in it, you know, by his own free will and choice and in a way that's healthy for him and his wife, can he unlink all of that this early in recovery? Well, let's, let's do talk about that. Cause I'll throw my own personal experience in here as well. I, there are a couple of behaviors that are cross addiction side co-addictions, I guess I should say, that are pretty common in our line of work, you know, that fall in line with sexual addiction. A lot of research has been done the last couple of years, for example, with the impact of video games on the brain or the potential that they have to become addictive mm -hmm. and how they can light up similar centers in the brain and feed a lot of the same type of uh, tendencies. As, sex, and, as sexual addiction does. As sexual addiction, correct. Mm -hmm. And I was a self-avowed, straight-up video game addict for years. Um, and it very much ran in line with my sexual addiction as well. 
In fact, there was some crossover for a time between the two behaviors where I would access pornographic content or engage the video gaming process in in my sexual addiction-like proclivities. So um, there was a tremendous link established between those. One one would kind of lead into the other behavior inevitably for me because they were both very avoidant, very escapist uh, activities in terms of how I approached them. I ended up having to, as a part of recovery, when I really got serious, I ended up having to sell my gaming console not once but twice because i was weak and i bought it i bought it back again like a year later (laughs) that's the telling part i had to sell it twice (laughs) so i had to get rid of it a second time and the second time i really had to make kind of a solemn i just kind of had to come to a place of healthy acceptance within myself that there's a very real chance that if i want to be serious about recovery i may never be able to engage with this ever again Kind of similar, Mark, to what you, you're describing, right? Like this, yeah. these things just become too linked. Not, not too long ago, probably, I don't know, it was probably four years into, three years, four years into sobriety, two, two to four years, somewhere in there into sobriety. I decided to start up and to try to re-engage with the video games, kind of like what Mark was describing with some other behaviors. And I thought, you know, maybe, is, is this a possibility? Is it not? And I was thankfully to a point where I didn't feel this, you know, crazy pull like I used to, to, to play, but I had some friends, one of which is in recovery who do that. And it was like, you know, this is kind of a nice way to be able to connect with people, you know, if I do it in a healthy way. And, and so I, I, I gave it a shot and put some really restrictive boundaries in place at the beginning. Um, and just kind of, and kept my wife in the loop with it. You know, I got her thoughts about it before getting one again. She thought it was a good idea to try as well. So I did. And I and I've now found I every Wednesday and Friday night, most most Wednesdays, most Fridays, not all the time, but it's kind of become sort of my poker night. I hang out with a brother-in-law and a couple of other close buddies, and we get on there and we'll play games together and we just talk about stuff. You know, it's kind of like bro time. Mm. And we have a good time and we keep it within boundaries. Very rarely does it ever go past, you know, midnight is usually my cutoff for that now. There's no more gaming until like five in the morning repeatedly. That'll happen once in a while if I'm on vacation or something, but it's very rare. There's not this huge pull to it during the week like there used to be. Things are very different now, and it's been and it's been able to take a healthy place in my life, which is how, awesome. How long did you go without gaming? It was probably a good couple of years, I want to say. That's what I was trying to remember as the timeline. But I, 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 I'd have to pull Brittany in here to ask. But I think it's probably been. It was probably a minimum of like two years. Yeah, I just had to go completely without it. And that's a um, really important thing to bring up. Correct. See, in order for you to unlink that gaming from all the sexual addiction connection and all of the escape and avoidance and self-soothing that it filled, you needed to have a period of, of abstinence, of letting it go, of being without it. Now, why do we do that? Because we have to unlink that, whatever it is. And you can, video games, fetishes, you know, I've even had- whatever. Fun. Going without that so that, quote, the brain can normalize. You could even say the brain can heal. The brain can rewire so that it isn't attached to all that old stuff, all that old addiction and obsessive and compulsive and all the rest of it. And now you kind of have, quote, a fresh start. Yeah. See, can I do this in a healthy way? Absolutely. And And you came back after several years and you tried it. Yes. And in my case, I was successful and that was wonderful, but it doesn't always happen that way. And, and again, there is that other, there's that other school of thought that says, you know, leaning into some of those behaviors at times for certain, in certain cases can be, 
can be helpful. I think that, you know, Mark and I, we were talking a lot about this before we got started because there are so many approaches to this. I think where we kind of, where we agree the most on this topic is, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, is that, you know, we've got a guy here who is really, it sounds like really solid into his recovery process, but also very new in it. And while uh, things are so new and so fresh, re- probably, I, I, I mean, I think that the healthiest choice, I think we would say that the healthiest choice here would be to say, yeah, I mean, could could this potentially be something that you could continue to engage in right now and continue to get better and not feed addiction? That's definitely possible, but probably the safer approach, right, would be to not risk the gamble, yeah. right? And to take the approach of, you know, there's nothing, there's saying, making a commitment and saying, you know what, I'm going to pursue a sexual relationship with my partner absent these, these, uh, absent these activities or these fetishes or these these proclivities, I'm going to pursue that for a year. And then let's revisit it. You know, let's mark it on the, on the calendar. Let's see where I'm at with it. Let's see where you're at with it. What are our thoughts and feelings? What impact has that had on me? What has it had on you? Right. And it's just like anything else that we would tackle as a couple in a healthy sexual relationship. And we would, because going back to, for example, my video game example, I did not just jump back into that willy nilly. That was something I talked about with my wife for months. Because mm-hmm. it didn't just cause issues in my addiction. My wife is the most nonviolent, loving person that I have ever met. I kid you not when I say that. The only time I've ever heard her want to express violence was one day when she's, she said something along the lines of the following, sometimes I want to take that box and I want to smash it with a hammer. Right. I've never heard. She doesn't talk that way like ever. <laughs> it really would became a, you know, a, a, a big problem in the relationship as, as can these other types of behaviors. And so coming back to that in a year or two years or whatever it is, there's no rule that says it ever has to be gone. But I think going back to the old adage that Mark and I always fall back on, we know that sexual sexuality and sexual behaviors have taken the best place in our lives when we no longer need them. Yes. Right. The best, the, the litmus test to know if I'm truly free of something is when I'm able to live without it. Right. If it, it when the as soon as I get to that point or as I as I approach that place of being able to live without it, that is what really ingrains the idea, or that's what brings me to that place of knowing, you know, this is this is now something that could at least potentially take a healthy place in my life because it's no longer a need or a compulsion. It's something that I am choosing, like Mark said, right? Rather than it choosing me. Yeah, exactly. And if I was in really serious recovery, frankly, I'd want to know. I want to know that about myself. Is this particular fetish or activity something that I absolutely need? Right? Because she said he loves it Mm -hmm. and wants to keep it. Mm, That brings some warning flags up. Yeah. You know, experiment and see what it's like to go without it. Right? Probably go with through some withdrawals, probably go through some tremendous anxiety. Right. I mean, discover what this what role this really plays for you. And you won't know what that is unless you are willing to give it up for a time to see. Can you have a healthy sexual experience with your partner without that? Mm-hmm. Right. And can it be enjoyable and satisfactory? I'd imagine if you do work in that area, right, and you can get to that point, whatever ends up with this fetish, whether it ends up being something healthy to take back on or whether it ends up something to be, you know, dismissed for forever. Whatever that is, it will, you know, it, it it at least has taken that place in your in your life where it would be something that you would be choosing to engage in again rather than it, it you know, it choosing you. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. 
Well, guys, this is a great topic to tackle. And as you know, we've just scratched the surface of it. And, oh, you know, speaking of scratching the surface, we have this awesome program. And I just tell you, <laughs> most of you have never heard of it because you've never listened to our podcast before. Guys, Dare to Connect. Okay. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, Mark and I, we get raw and real with addicts, spouses, and couples. We do that for, well, it's supposed to be for half an hour. It's usually about 40 minutes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday right now. <laughs> um, that time frame is going to be doubling along with a lot of awesome new features that we're launching here in the next six to eight weeks in our Dare to Connect 2.0 program. Um, we would love to have you come over. Come and join us. Give it a try for a couple of weeks for free. Two-week free trial with that. Um, you can get more info on that at daretoconnectnow.com. We'd love to have you come over. Um, if you're serious about recovery and you are wanting to take your recovery to the next level, if you find what you find on the PBC podcast helpful here, um, come on over. Last week, what did what did what did listeners miss? They missed me talking about my entire history with ED as a 39-year-old guy. So that right. Yeah, erectile was, dysfunction uh, was the topic. Uh, yeah, erectile dysfunction or... was the topic of the <clears throat> week. So we got far more raw and real about <clears throat> that than anybody would ever envision probably on any program out there there's nothing else like it we'd love to have you guys come join us connection happens through vulnerability and sharing and we definitely dial it up to about a 12 on the one to 10 scale there so we would love to have you guys uh come and join us yeah all right everyone thanks for listening in and uh, we'll look forward to spending time with you next uh, in the next pbsc episode sounds great take care guys Everything expressed on the PBSC podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.